Divine Truth Book Group. These are discussions of books selected by Jesus and Mary. This book group discusses Through the Mists by Ephra and Robert James Lees. This is Chapter 19, The Sanctuary of Silence. Hosts of this discussion are Mary and Jesus. The discussion was held on the 6th of May 2014 in Wilkesdale, Queensland, Australia. Hi everyone, welcome to our discussion of Chapter 19 of Through the Mists, the book channeled by Robert James Lees. The name of this chapter is The Sanctuary of Silence and I'm joined once again by Jesus to discuss the chapter. Hmm. So, thank you. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, <coughs> Just to recap a little, mm-hmm. uh, Fred has been, he's been to visit the poetess and um, Mahanin has come along and said, um, come on a, an adventure with me. Mm. They've had a discussion about the significance of family mm. and relationships in the spirit world. Mm. And now Mahanin is um, taking Fred off to this special festival, he calls it, or mm. a gathering. Mm. And along the way, uh, Fred has various... Um, reflections and he feels a lot of things about the importance of Jesus yourself Mm -hmm. as well as um, he has a very special experience with Mahanin, a special form of communication Mm. and then he witnesses something pretty amazing and beautiful at the ceremony. So that's just a synopsis of what happens in the chapter. Let's launch in and have a look at, firstly, I wanted to mention briefly the themes that I saw in this chapter, and I'm sure you might want to add to them. So, um, obviously, there's a a strong emphasis on silence all the way through this chapter, and um, the power of silence, really, Fred is pointing out, and some magical or what he thinks are very wonderful things happen during periods of silence in this chapter. So Mm. um, that's really something to explore as we go through the text as well. I feel the chapter also highlights the importance of reflection, Mm -hmm. our personal reflection. Mm -hmm. And having time for personal reflection. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Taking time with ourselves and being silent and reflecting and observing. there is a strong emphasis on the importance of yourself and your role as mediator of the covenant, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd like to talk to you about more as we get into the chapter. And then the way in which God communicates with his children, mm. uh, and that comes in at the end of the chapter. Mm. But really, Mahanin and Fred's communication in the beginning parts of the chapter is almost like helping us to come to understand some of the communication that happens between God and the people at the festival Mm. at the end of the chapter. Mm. So that's what I saw very strongly in this chapter. Yeah, I feel there's also a lot of information there about progression and the fact that progression can't be faked or facaded in the spirit world. And the reason why is because there are certain ways that uh, are checked upon, if you like, so that everything's checked against God's love yeah. and that way nobody can really make any progress unless there is a true change in their condition yeah. of their own soul. And so I feel that's a very important part of the chapter as well. Definitely, mm. definitely. Yeah, mm. all right. So will we launch on into the text? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, probably at the, starting at the very beginning, 
the chapter of the title is called The Sanctuary of Silence. And uh, I thought it would be interesting just to consider the meaning of the word sanctuary. Because mm. a lot of times in modern English, I, or I have commonly associated the word sanctuary with a place of refuge, I suppose, a place of safety. Mm. Uh, but actually, if we look at the definition of the word, it also means a very holy, sacred place. Mm. And so I thought that was important to highlight as we um, commence the chapter because really the silences that occur in this chapter are very holy and spiritual. Mm. 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 Yeah. Okay, now let's go. Far away. <laughs> um, so to start off with, Fred begins to talk about the way he's been shown so many things mm. in the spirit world. and um, I feel the, very, the second sentence is probably very important. Just yep. He talks about being overwhelmed all the time. Okay. And I keep on saying to people that, that this is the way you progress in your soul, by being overwhelmed. You've got to allow yourself to be overwhelmed. And every new thing that Fred's presented with he, it overwhelms him every time. He always feels overwhelmed either with gratitude or with, with, a, with a feeling, joy or gratitude or truth or just the impact that would have had on his life if he had known that particular truth. Yeah. Obviously, he's also had to process through different uh, things that surprised him and saddened him mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And each time he's been overwhelmed. Yeah. And this is, I feel, a strong indication to all of us that we still need to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. We need to allow the overwhelm to occur. Yeah. And once we do, then, then of course we will have progression. Mm. Our soul will stretch and expand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's probably another theme that runs through this chapter is the way, as you said, progression, mm. also learning, the way mm. Fred has learned. And he's reflecting a lot on how he's been taught. Mm. And in the next part he talks about... Um, standing in the presence of this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as interpreted by these angel friends, how truly and literally I could endorse Paul's conclusion that even under the most favourable conditions on earth, men but see through a glass darkly. Mm. And we talked about that Bible quote a couple of chapters ago. Mm. So he's saying we have such a, a tiny understanding of what really is possible and what exists in the spirit world. Definitely. Um, and then he talks about... Um, Can just... I address the statement the Lord Jesus Christ before we move forward? Go for it. And yeah. Obviously, this is a quotation from Bible verses, and it's not what I've ever been called by my friends or the people who existed in the first century with me. They never called me the Lord Jesus Christ. They often referred to me as the master or a person who had mastered a connection with God, but they never... Um, referred to me as the Lord because they knew that God the, is the Lord, the Creator is the Lord. So, so uh, it's interesting how things get quoted. You know, one time out of context, they get placed into a book like the Bible, and then oftentimes, many times you know, after that, people start quoting it frequently. And unfortunately, because of that, there is often this miscomprehend, this this misconception of myself and my role. And so I'm just a normal person. Jesus mm. was my name in the first century. Alan's my name now that I was named by my parents. And I'm just a normal person. For 2,000 years I was, I've been called Jesus in the spirit world. And so that's the name that I feel most 
conversant with mm. and most natural about. But I'm not the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Jesus Christ in the sense that when I was Christed, when I'd received God's love to the point of atonement with God, I became Christed, the first Christ, but not the only one, mm -hmm. as the Bible actually infers that I was the first, but not the only one. And, uh, and in fact, even there's parts of the Bible that we refer to today that quite strongly suggest that I wanted all of the disciples to have the same condition or relationship that I had with God, that, and I wanted them to have the same relationship. So, so that's, that's the truth about the situation, and then it all gets misconceived. Yeah. It all, they then turn me into a, a God or a Lord, uh, to, and then, of course, it's not far stretched from there to turn me into a God and so forth. And obviously all of those things distort the truth. It's very mm -hmm. damaging to the truth. But, of course, Fred's actually quoting from the Bible here when he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah. so it's really a quotation and probably should be placed in quotation marks <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that uh, it's not something that he even refers to me as now, right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously we've met yes. and had many discussions <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but not at this point. Not at this No, at no, where... I had not met him at this point. Yes. Yes, but so, we've since met. Exactly. Yes. And, but mm. a lot of what... Fred's still coming to grips with everything that he heard about Christianity from mm. the Bible and from people who were claiming to be Christians on earth. He's still working on this process of reconciling that with what he's discovering now. Yes. And in fact, he, in the next part, he actually says, um, in no single case had a revelation been made to me in violation or substitution of that word, referring to the Bible. Mm. Um, and this is something... So he actually goes on to say three things quite rapidly here. One is that everything that he's been taught doesn't actually contradict the Bible. It's just a difference in interpretation. Correct. The second thing he said... Of course, uh, many Christians would argue that point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about that now then. Mm. What, how would they argue that point? Well... Again, the interpretation, the interpretation that Christians have of the Bible are quite different. To if, you, if you read the Bible from beginning to end without having any preconceived notion about what the Bible actually said or about the Christian teachings, mm -hmm. you would be very, very surprised to find many of the Christian teachings because you won't find them in the Bible. Yeah. They, many of them have been, are strong manipulations or interpretations of what is being actually said. So many things in the Bible are interpreted as uh, not real or, th or you could say examples or things like that, yeah. um, illustrations. Like allegory. Allegory yeah. um, that are interpreted by Christians as real mm -hmm. and vice versa also is the case where there are many things that are allegory in the Bible that are actually interpreted by Christians as That's as the real. same thing. So you mean there's many real things that are actually interpreted as teaching as, stories? Yes. And then there's actual teaching stories that are interpreted, interpreted as, as real. real. Yep. Yes. And and unfortunately, the there is a large mix-up of both things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and of course, interpretation is always always belongs to the domain of the of your emotions of how you feel. 
So if you feel a certain way, you will highly likely interpret something a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, if I see a, a, a unhappy look on your face, I might <laughs> interpret things to be a certain way. Yeah. But then if I hear the word and I don't see the unhappy look on your face or I don't see the happy look on your face, yeah. I might interpret the word completely different to what you're actually trying to portray. Yeah. And this is the problem with words is that they don't portray many things at all, actually, <laughs> in terms of what's really going on in, in the situation. Yeah. And, and then when we've got allegory being treated as truth and truth being treated as allegory, yeah. um, you've got a terrible mix-up of all of, these informa- all of this information then on top of that, there are many things in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament of the Bible, that are completely false. Yeah. And there are many things in the Bible that never happened at all. Mm-hmm. And once you start assuming that because it's God's word that they all must have happened, mm-hmm. you then make a lot of other terrible assumptions, yeah. including assumptions about God's character and nature, for yeah. example, which, are, which is the most terrible assumption you can make. If you make an assumption about God's character and nature, that God is a punishing or evil or or is going to destroy people, then already you're way out of harmony with God's true nature. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, you're probably going to interpret things that are recorded in the Bible as if God has that kind of nature, unfortunately. And, and so there's so many contradictions that are start arising then yeah. from, from the Bible itself. So, so while I do agree that almost everything that Fred has been shown has another interpretation than what the average Christian interpretation is of that particular event. Yeah. There are certain events in, uh, and certain statements in the Bible that uh, don't leave anything open to interpretation and which are obviously false. Yeah, yeah. That's, I suppose that's how I felt reading that. Mm. I was like, that's great. There, you know, you've been given revelations of more thorough understanding of the truth of things that you've heard mm. from the Bible. But Actually, there is a lot of falsehood in the Bible as Correct. well. And Correct. I can't quite agree with everything there. So. Yes, and, and, but remember, I, I don't know if it's in this book, but in another one, I think it is in another book, I think it's in the Life Elysium, where they actually speak about the parts of the Bible that you can trust mm-hmm. and the parts of the Bible that you cannot trust. Yeah. And he talks about the, the parts of the Bible which are the domain of the priest yeah. and parts of the Bible that are the domain of the prophet. And the parts of the Bible that are relate to prophecy, you can trust more yeah. than the parts of the Bible that relate to the priest. In other words, relate to human law. Yeah. And so this is another thing that later on is clarified for Fred. So we, we need to understand that this is, again, mm-hmm. what is understood at this point in time yes. in the book. Yes. Not what he now understands and also not what is truth as yeah. he knows it to be now. Yeah. 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 Very important. So... The second thing he highlights here is that um, whenever scripture was quoted, the words and teachings of the master always had preeminence and were regarded with authority to which the writings of the apostles only occupied a very secondary importance. Yes. So here he's saying that in a, a lot of times where he's been taught thus far in mm-hmm. his journey, people who've been teaching him have quoted you directly. They've said your direct words. And the, whatever else has been written in the Bible by other people like Paul and all kinds of other people have not had the same, they've not the same import mm. in the teaching that he's received. Yes, but again, we need to state quite clearly that there are many things recorded in the Bible of me saying I never actually said yeah. 
or I said very differently to what is now recorded because they've been modified over many years. Mm. So, so this is part of the problem as well, is that there are things that, can, that I did say that can be misinterpreted. Then there's things I never said that, <laughs> that somebody else wrote and that have obviously now been interpolated into the Bible. Yeah. So, so it's been claimed that I said it, which is a false claim. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, um, all of those things cause degradation of truth. However, as he correctly points out, anything, whenever anybody in the spirit world refers to my life in the first century in particular or my teachings that I've shared since then, mm. they refer directly to my teachings and they only refer to the teachings of the apostles in a secondary sense, in the sense of whether they support my teachings or not. Because mm-hmm. there are many things that have been said by the apostles, both when they were on earth and also since they arrived in the spirit world. And some of them, remember, arrived in the spirit world in the hells of the spirit world, yes. which you definitely would not want to <laughs> practice or follow. No. And this is the reason why they've, they've taken, the spirits have taken this particular attack. So they, what they do is they... they honour the teachings that I actually gave. They try to explain those teachings in the light of what the Bible actually has recorded. But but that is not always possible because because there were things that were written in the Bible that never happened. Mm. And so that's always, you know, going to be a problem. Then they also are very careful that if they do quote any of their so-called apostles in the Bible, and of course even that in itself is a misconception, But when they do quote those books of the Bible, like the books of Paul, for example, and Peter and James, my brother, and so forth, and, and you know, relate, relate those written by Luke and, and, and John and Matthew and Mark. in the last couple of chapters a lot, yeah. When they do quote the ones that are, that where I were not present on, or I was not present on earth, they then focus on the how that material supports what I've said. Yeah. And they ignore the bits where it doesn't support what I've said. (laughs) And I suppose that is something uh, later on in the chapter, Fred highlights a way that teaching happens in the spirit world. Correct. And he says that it's basically guided from where the person is most open and they ask questions and Mm. they're given revelations through that process. Yes. And really for a man who's... um, contact with spirituality happened via Christianity on earth, mm-hmm. then it's then logical that yeah, mm. anyone who comes to him who wants to help him progress truthfully in love will use references that he's familiar with mm. in order and open to in order to teach, teach. and develop that person. But if a person's a Muslim... They're not going to use the Bible. None of, the, none of that <laughs> would have been quoted. The, the, book, the Koran would have been quoted yes. in different areas. If the person's not a Muslim or a Christian and has no religion at all, then uh, then there would have been a high likelihood that they would have focused primarily on scientific facts yep. when they presented the yep. information they present. So it does depend to a large degree on the background of the individual as to what teaching methodo- method methodology they use. Yeah. And I suppose for Frederick and Robert James Lees, both sharing that common background Correct. and publishing this book in England mm. at the start of the last century, mm-hmm. it was very applicable, of all course. of these references. Of course. Yeah. Now, Mahayin himself was not a Christian on earth. No. So his own learning would have been very, very different yeah. in the sense that, you know, his own learning of the spirit world and how, how the spirit world works and everything would have been completely different. 
And he would have only had quoted to him things after I had appeared on earth in the first century. And of course he died well before then. Yeah. So, so he, he's, he was alive many thousands of years before I arrived on the earth. Yeah. And so naturally in, the, in that progression, he would have progressed to the sixth sphere of the spirit world. And he would have progressed using very, very different means yeah. and also with very, very different understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I like is that the way that um, Frederick is being taught in the spirit world, he then commences to teach everyone in England on earth, really. He's finding openings mm. to help them see. He's relaying his journey, which is similar his background so similar to those people that it helps them to open up yes yes yeah. but yes mining wouldn't have started to understand your role and your importance until you actually incarnated on the earth and he was able to observe you correct and he never observed me for many years afterwards mm -hmm. and so he, he didn't observe my life on earth at all mm. and so he would not have he wouldn't have been involved in seeing it firsthand yep. so he would have had to have had that material relayed to him. Right. Mm. Why wouldn't he have seen it first? Well, because he wasn't interested in what was happening yes. <laughs> in my time. <laughs> yeah. um, and to me, you know, he had other interests. He was in the sixth dimension of the spirit world investigating other things mm -hmm. and spending a lot of his time doing things in the spirit world that had no connection to earth. And so he had very little uh, interest in what happened on earth until after I passed. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Got to. Mm. And which probably brings us to the next important point, mm -hmm. which is really about your role as the mediator of the new covenant. Mm -hmm. So while we've said all these things about people with a Christian background being assisted to grow by using examples and texts from Christianity and people from other faiths being used to grow with references to their faith, none of that changes the special role that you have and have always had in the spirit world, mm. um, regardless of anyone's denomination, mm. the person who is the mediator of the new covenant mm. is you. Mm. And the, the person who is most progressed in their relationship with God is you. Mm. And so let's talk about that fact mm. because um, Frederick talks about it next mm. in the chapter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, perhaps I'll just read a part of the text. Sure. Jesus was the, was the mediator of the new covenant and so was able to speak with more power and authority as to its scope, methods and the conditions by which it, its privileges could be secured. Hmm. So firstly, I think we need to say a few things about the new covenant and how I became the mediator of it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd basically like yes. to talk about. Well, firstly, the new, new covenant refers to verses that I discovered in the first century while I was growing up. I read them when I was quite young. Uh, I was taught in a, you, you, you would call it a synagogue, I suppose, nowadays, but it's sort of uh, a, quite a large one that was in Alexandria in Egypt mm -hmm. that was used by a, nearly a million Jews at the time, and we lived there. And as a result, I got to be schooled by the temple leaders in that, in that temple or, or in that synagogue. Mm -hmm. As a result, um, I learned many things about um, the Old Testament. In particular, yeah. I was very interested in the prophets. Mm -hmm. So I understood it from a very early age that many of the laws that were given to the Israelites were actually out of harmony with love. And I could feel the disharmony they had with love. But... 
also, I also found that when I was reading the prophets, there was an inspiration of love in many cases. And Psalms and the prophets, I would often be inspired into having concepts of love that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And it was those concepts of love that began to grow in me from those readings. Mm-hmm. So when I was very young, and I was, this was between the age of five and 12, I, le- I learned and read a lot of those materials. And as a result, uh, I, because of the connection that I had with God at the time, um, I felt very strongly the issues of love that surrounded the different books of the Bible. So the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the Psalms, mm-hmm. and all of the prophets. I was very, very, very interested in all the prophet, prophetic books because I knew that the prophetic books were discussions between, if you like, bet- recorded down by people on earth between spirits and people on earth. Mm-hmm. And I found that, in, in fact, very fascinating. And I realised that that was the reason why a lot of those prophetic books I felt a much stronger bond yeah. to because they didn't come from earth, they came from the spirit world. And they were talking about a future existence where love would dominate. And particularly I found references in the books of Ezekiel and Jeremiah that talked about a new covenant. And I started trying to work out what this new covenant was all about because it was about the coming of the Messiah and so forth, of which I was very interested in at the time, even though I w- didn't feel I was the Messiah. Yeah. So, so what I did was I started reading a lot of that material and, and pondering about it and thinking about it and praying about it. And as a result, I found many references to the new covenant. And that new covenant I started to understand was not what, Christians on earth now think it is, which is all about my blood sacrifice and my body, blood and body sacrifice. But rather it's all about turning the heart of a stone into the heart of a flesh. Of flesh. In other words, making humankind softer, and more loving. <laughs> and really filling our hearts with the love, of, transforming our hearts with the love of receiving the love of God. Well, I didn't understand that, that initially. initially. Uh, I, I came to understand that in time that obviously God's love from a logical perspective would be much more powerful a transformative uh, power than, than human love. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I started to realise that if we could receive God's love from a scientific perspective, it would mean that the love that came from us was going to be much greater than if we just had the love that we had from within ourselves. Yeah. So that meant that I began to experiment with and develop my, my relationship with God mm-hmm. and receive God's love. Once I became at one with God, I became the mediator of that new covenant. I became the first person on earth who demonstrated that love to the point of at one with God in the sense of an, into a different condition. Mm-hmm. And I demonstrated that as an example. So I became that example on earth. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that I um, become a mediator through a process so much. or I became the mediator in the sense that I was now a link between God, mm-hmm. the, being, the being that has all this love, mm-hmm. the creator of all humanity, and people who had not received this love. Yeah. And I was the in-between bit the, <laughs> the, that had received that love. I wasn't God. But I had received that love to the point that allowed me to become at one with God in the way that I displayed love, which meant now that through that desire, I'd become the mediator of this new covenant. And by mediator there, we mean someone who can 
demonstrate the power of this love, is a living example of it, but who can also speak with wisdom about how to enter this relationship. Correct, and yeah. share how to do it with others. Yeah. So, so that others are able to do it as well. Yeah. And, and I recognise that that was the role of the Messiah. Yes. The role of the Messiah was to be able to firstly take personal steps to become a one with God and then secondly share those personal steps with other people so that they could also do the same. Mm. Mm. Okay, I wanted to draw the distinction between what Christianity for the main part commonly believes is the new covenant mm -hmm. now on earth what the common belief is and what it truly is mm -hmm. and you've just explained really what it truly is yes and i've got some bible references here to some of those old testament um mm. uh, passages that yep. inspired you as, yes. a, as yep. a boy yep. so there's a passage from ezekiel yes uh chapter 36 verse 26 mm -hmm. which says i will give you a new heart and put in put a new spirit in you mm. I will remove from you your heart of stone and mm. give you a heart of flesh. Mm. So that had a powerful yeah. influence over me, that verse, yeah. that if we could connect to God, the hardness in humanity that I could feel when I lived in the first century and as that is still present today <laughs> um, would, would become a softness if God's love was experienced. Yeah. Mm. And then in Jeremiah, it speaks directly of a new covenant. It does. So mm. chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, mm. because they broke my covenant, through, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Mm. I will be their God and they will be my people. Mm. And then, of course, Paul referred to that later in as Corinthians. well in Corinthians. Yes, who says, Second uh, Corinthians, you show that you are, the letter, you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Yes. And so what Paul was even implying there was that the whole Christian faith was not dependent upon the law mm -hmm. or dependent on a rule book or even on the, upon the Bible, but rather it was dependent on the person demonstrating love in their hearts yeah. and demonstrating love in action. Mm -hmm. And that, that was going to be the determining factor as to whether a person actually understood even what I was taught in any way was to how much they were going to become a loving person. Yes. And as it implies, the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit writing this, it, the connection with the Holy Spirit allows this love to flow into the heart so that, and, that, and the love itself causes the transformation. Mm. And so I started to reflect upon all of these verses, the ones that are obviously not in the Greek scriptures, were, they weren't written at my time, but... The one is in the Hebrew scriptures, they were certainly written at the time, and so I reflected upon those. And then, I, you know, when I looked at the example of what God was trying to teach Hosea, for example, and other prophets, I could see that God was trying to teach them all about love and that the laws of God could all be written on the heart of the individual. In other words, in other words they wouldn't need a rule book anymore. They'd, they'd do what the law was because, it, because they wanted to do what the law was yes. in their yeah. heart. There's been a heart transformation. There's been a heart that transformation. That will lead and direct each person. Correct. Without having to rely on any text or 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so that then became my focus. Once yeah. I understood that was possible and the, the prophets were indicating that it was possible, even though they themselves had not discovered how that was possible, yeah. um, I then decided to engage that. I process, some processes which I used my relationship with God to test. Mm -hmm. So in other words, when I could feel a connection with God, I knew I was on the right track. Yeah. And when I could not feel a connection with God, I knew I was on the wrong track. Yeah. And I just used <laughs> that very, very simple feedback system to discover the truth about my relationship with God. Because once a person begins receiving God's love, it's very difficult to deny the transforma transformational power of it, isn't it? Correct. So you, you know, oh, this is transforming my heart and I'm no longer feeling or being guided towards things that I once was. Yes. And, and it's and, proof, isn't it? And you can easily feel when a person has received some of God's love, very easily feel it. And you can also easily feel when they have not. Mm. It's quite, quite easy to feel when a person has and has not received God's love. And it doesn't matter what your religious background, whether you're Christian or, or you know, Muslim, or, or even atheist, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can receive God's love yeah. and it can actually transform you in some ways. And you can even be an atheist to a certain degree and receive some of God's love, although it, it depend, there's a difference between being an atheist in your soul and being an atheist in your mind. <laughs> that's and very that's, true. That's yeah. One of the things I began to learn was it was all about this heart-based transformation rather than what you thought you were doing. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that a lot of religious faiths, even when I was present on earth in the first century, a lot of religious faiths thought they were doing one thing when what was actually happening to their soul was something quite different. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's contrast that then. So this is how you became, this was exactly what the, you discovered the new covenant was and how you mm. became a mediator of it. Mm -hmm. If we contrast that to what, the new covenant is generally regarded to be now on earth by yes. Christians. Um, it's really, they relate it to your blood sacrifice. They do. And the Last Supper. This And in some Bible texts, it's you're quoted as saying something about the new covenant at the Last Supper. And well, I, well, I did say something about the new covenant at the Last Supper. I obviously didn't link it to the drinking of wine or the eating of bread. No. But... but the, I, I always said many things about New Covenant in the first century yes. after I became at one with God because I knew that that was the actual thing that everyone needed to do was yeah. to engage that same process. But unfortunately, because of the bread and the wine and also later revisionists wanting to marry the Judaism with mm -hmm. my teachings of, Christ, you know, the true teachings of Christianity, they distorted my words, even the words that occurred in the last so-called Last Supper, which was just a meal that we had with many of our friends. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the distortion, they then made a lot of implications, yeah. which were false, and, and later they became doctrinal issues. Mm. And then, of course, later revisionists reinforced those doctrinal issues, and which, which only caused to exacerbate the problem. Yeah. I... I printed out a bit of text from Wikipedia mm -hmm. about the New Covenant. And um, so it says here, generally Christians believe that the New Covenant was instituted at the Last Supper as part of the Eucharist, mm. which in the Gospel of John includes the New Commandment. Um, so that's basically what we've been talking about. Mm. It then goes on to say um, that other groups further de define the New Covenant. And I think this is a bit interesting. Mm. 
Um, some define and describe the new covenant as an ongoing relationship between Christian believers and God that will be in full fruition after the second coming, mm. which is the second coming of Christ. So in other words, they falsely believe that, that they cannot have the completion of the new covenant until I come again, which is not true. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not true because... It, it may turn out to be true, ironically, <laughs> yeah, for many people on earth, because uh, since I died in the first century, no one else became at one with God while on earth. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are many people who have in the spirit world, mm -hmm. but no one on earth became at one with God after I died. And as a result of that, it means that nobody really engaged the new covenant while they were on earth after I died. Mm -hmm. So what, I, what we're very hopeful of doing this time yes. is helping people engage that new covenant right now and continue to do so until they become at one with God. And if that actually does happen, then it means that at the time of our coming, yeah. <laughs> um, that those events will cause many people who currently are not at one with God to become at one with God. Yeah. And so therefore, the fruition, if you like, of the new covenant is, is demonstrated. And they actually say um, fruition in believing hearts, so Christians. Yes. And it's got nothing and to do with believing everyone hearts. else, actually. Yes. Which is, is also interesting in yes. that um, there are many people who wouldn't call themselves Christian believers who feel like they'd like to engage this new covenant. Of course. Yeah. And in fact, you know, this new covenant is not offered to Christian believers only. It's mm -hmm. offered to every single person who's ever lived since I came on earth in the first century. Yeah. And every per single person who still lives in the spirit world, it's offered to all of them as well. So every single person who's ever lived up to this point has had the offer of this covenant. And, and it's still just, does. And still does. Yeah. And there may be a time in the future where it's withdrawn, this offer. But uh, at the moment, the offer is available to everyone. Mm. Mm. It doesn't matter what religious faith we have and what belief system we have. Okay, let's go back to the chapter then. Thank mm. you for that very thorough explanation of the New Covenant. Um, Fred then goes on to talk about... So basically in this passage that I just read earlier, he's saying that this is why they so often quote your words directly because mm. basically you're the mediator, you're the guy who's done it, what they all want to do, so they're going to listen to you directly. Yes, not only that, I became the word, if you like, yep. like God's word on earth was not a book and would never and was never going to be a book. But God's when I was present on earth in the first century, I became through this process, once I became at one with God, I became God's word on earth. And and that doesn't mean that I told people what to do. <laughs> what it means is that people could see through me what was written, uh, the the you could say the fulfillment of what was written, but also they could see through my example what it meant to be at one with God. Yeah. So in that way, I became God's word, if you like. what The word of truth could now be reflected to somebody, through somebody on earth to other people. Mm. And, of course, any person who reaches this condition will have the same thing happen to them. Yeah. So it hasn't, it's not dependent upon one person. Obviously, there will always be one person who is the first, but uh, it doesn't mean that that will be the only person. But I find it a bit sad sometimes when they then think it's, you know, to do with one person and, and then I'm placed in this position that I'm the Lord, you know, and somehow now they treat my blood as the mediating purpose or the mediating operation. And unfortunately, all of these 
you know, false beliefs distort the message of what we were trying to teach in the first century? Yeah, I find it really hard personally. Mm. I feel like, well, not only is there absolutely no reference to me anywhere <laughs> in the Bible, in, in a true sense. You yeah, there's four from, references, but it's yeah. very brief. But I mean, in terms of the truth of our relationship um, and that kind of thing. Mm. But also that that you're elevated to some, well, you're elevated to a God mm. and that makes you very, very um, separate. Mm. Even though people, a lot of people on earth say they really want a relationship with you, mm. they're, they're, they're substituting you for God and I, and I find that really um, gross. Mm. Well, it is, it is blasphemous to God. Yeah. You know, God's creations are never going to be God and all I am is one of God's creations. So, you know, I can never be God. I'm not a part of God. There is no triune God, mm. you know, where, where, one, where there's one in three or any of those kind of things. So none of those things are true, of course. And I say, of course, because it's quite logical to see that they cannot be true. <laughs> yeah. And it's not something if you read the verses of the Bible um, that surround my life, you'll see that it's very, very hard to interpret them as if I'm equal to God, mm. in fact. And in fact, there is quite strong evidence to support completely the opposite, that I'm not equal to God. And, uh, but there was also quite strong evidence, like in the book of John, for example, quite strong evidence to support the fact that I believed everyone else could become like me yeah. as well. And this is why I said the things that I said just before I died, that, are, that I've been written to a degree, and not, not accurately, but written to a degree enough to get the import of the words that I was speaking when I was praying to God the night before my death. So all of these things are all part, part of proof, if you like, that what the Christian faith currently believes as the truth about the Bible isn't the truth about mm. the Bible at all. And in fact, the truth is much simpler and yes. much easier to understand and also um, much easier to grasp intellectually but very difficult to actually practice. <laughs> in, the, in the situation on the earth right now? Yes, if, particularly in the situation uh, on earth right now. If we hadn't strayed so far from love and from the loving use of our will, it wouldn't be so hard. No. In fact, it would be more, more natural yeah. to, to do the loving thing. But yeah. unfortunately, the way, the way things have panned out with regard to the earth and the choice of mankind to desire to live out of harmony with love has caused a degradation of the condition on earth and that of course has made it very very difficult for anyone who wants to bring their life back into harmony with God's love. Yeah yeah, yeah. okay well let's talk here because Fred actually kind of mixes up you with God or it's not clear the delineation. In the next yeah, I don't think he does mix up me with God, but he does mention one sentence about me and another about God straight after. Yeah. And then it could be, it could be misinterpreted as, as referring to me as God. <laughs> yeah. So he says, this being so, it was always not only the safest, but the simplest way to hear him rather than to listen to what others had to say about him. So that's in reference to you yes. and your words. Can I say something about this yep. as well? I find it very interesting even now that the majority of people listen to what other people say about me than listening to what I've actually said. 
So in other words, and I find this is actually quite dangerous for a lot of reasons. I think it's quite illogical. Well, it's illogical, but it's also dangerous. It's not brainy either. Because the the main reason why it's dangerous is because when other people hear what I'm saying to them, they they misinterpret what I'm saying to them through their own filters. Mm. And so when they repeat what I'm saying, there will often be a complete misinterpretation of what I'm actually saying to them. Yeah. And, and this was the same problem in the first century, and it has been the same problem all throughout history, all throughout the history of my life, in that if I come to somebody and say something to somebody, they then, you know, repeat, thinking they're repeating word for word what I'm saying, but actually they're not. They're repeating what their filter has thought mm-hmm. or felt that I'm saying which is very, very different many times than what I've actually said. And the same applies with the Bible, obviously. This is what's happened to the Bible. And it's even happening while I'm alive now. So it's certainly going to happen when I die, <laughs> or if I had died, when I died in the first century, it definitely happened too. Yeah. If you look at how many times we get misquoted, even though we're both alive, and nobody bothers to check with us whether we actually said those things or not, and what we meant when we said those things, you can see that... It, it, the, the, it, you, it is so open to misinterpretation all the time. And, and, and I find it interesting that most people don't even want to know what was said. Just let Mary have her coffee. That people aren't even interested in the, in the truth. They're more no. comfortable with, with having their a interpretation. Yeah. yeah, they're more comfortable with their own interpretation rather than actually going to the person who actually supposedly said the words and saying, did you actually say that? Did you mean that? Yeah. And they do that even when I'm alive. Yeah. So they're certainly going to do it after I've died. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I find that's pretty interesting. But obviously the second thing that he's getting at, Fred's getting at, is that it makes more sense to listen to the person who's actually the word. Yeah you know, rather than to listen to what others say about the word. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) And that, of course, makes total sense. It makes total sense. And even now, just journalists don't... We've got 1,200 hours on YouTube of us speaking directly. Yep. And they all watch Channel 7, Channel 9. And they watch what other people said about us. What other people said about us. And most of the time it's lies about us that they watch. And so many times a new journalist comes to us and says, oh, what about this that you have? Where's we the don't compound? have that. Where's what the compound? No, we don't have that. Where's the new religion? Don't have that either. Yeah. Where, who's the ministers? Don't have them. Yeah. You know, all these things that have been claimed, uh, none of it's true. And the reason why none of it's true is because it isn't true. It's <laughs> like we can't have it true because all of these things are not the right way to do things in harmony with God's yeah. love. And, and yet all of these claims have been falsely made but they're turned into truth by people quoting other people, quoting other people, rather than going to the source of the information. And what we find, don't we, when people come to us as a source, if, if it's one member of the media, they hear what we say and then they, and they come and visit us and they realise what we're saying is true and they think, oh, that's not a very interesting story, so we won't tell that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not interesting enough. And this is a part of the problem with what happened with the original texts that were recorded in the first century. They weren't interesting enough for the people who wanted mystery and wanted, who wanted some kind of miraculous things to occur. And so because they weren't interesting enough, they got modified. But also, don't you think it's because people have always wanted someone else to do the work for them when of it course, comes yeah. to growing spiritually? Mm. They, it's not convenient to have someone come along and say, hey, I am the word, 
now you can embrace this, but you're going to have to really look at yourselves. It's much more, it's much more um, well, it takes the onus off oneself if you just go, well, his blood did the, did the work and... I know, that, I know that Christians don't just go, oh, well, that's it, I'm going to do whatever I want. I know that they have principles Laws, yeah. around love and, mm. and things like that. Many of them are not around love, though. What they they're around s- law. What they're they surrounding say to law. Love, yeah. Well, they're not even around love, they're around law. Because a lot of the Christians actually feel in their heart that that particular thing, which is surrounding law, doesn't feel very loving to them. Mm-hmm. But because it's law, they feel they must follow it. Yeah. And this was the same problem in the first century. You know, we had many people who surrounded their life around law when their heart was screaming at them, don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> you know, whenever, whenever a woman was stoned to death for adultery and the man was let go free, many of the people who were involved in the stoning felt that feeling. Yeah. But they didn't act upon it yeah. because they didn't want to act upon love. Mm. Mm. And I feel there's many issues with the role, the position of women that of continue is, yeah. to bother Christian women. Of course, and they, they feel that. They feel that. Yeah. It doesn't feel loving. No, and they, can't, and they try to come up with all these explanations of why they should follow it that way, but it doesn't feel loving and it's not. Mm-hmm. You can't make something that doesn't feel loving into making it loving. Yeah. You just yeah. can't. <laughs> and that's the beauty of love is yeah. that you can't. In the end, it's quite obvious when something's not loving. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. Next sentence, which is quite significant. Mm -hmm. If any doubt or difficulty existed, every child who seeks to know the mind of the Father as revealed in Christ could ask of him and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, by whom the Master promised to reveal to his disciples the inner mysteries of God Yes. And to bring all things to our remembrance. Yes. And now, so this is where I feel it is a bit of a mixed message. Well, not really. When they say, could ask of him, me, it's referring to there, because it's a quote from the Bible again, which says that I was going to request of God for them, that, they, that God provides the comfort of the Holy Spirit in order for them, and the Holy Spirit would teach them all the truth. And so that's something that's close to what I said. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Um, so they then assumed that asking me personally um, would would somehow create this sharing of knowledge. But that's not true, obviously. What what we're really doing is asking God to for the for the Holy Spirit to come to us. Yeah. And we do that by desiring. It's not an asking, it's not a physical asking where we use words, but rather it's a desiring, a heartfelt desire for God's love. And when we desire God's love like that, the Holy Spirit makes a connection. And now we have the ability to determine what is true and what is not. Yeah. Only while that connection exists. remains yeah. or exists. Now, once the connection is established, the connection can also be disconnected quite rapidly by the human soul. Mm-hmm. So we can't assume that it, once it's established once, that it's always there, which is what a lot of Christians also assume. So sometimes Christians have received the gift, if you like, of the Holy Spirit, where they feel the connection, that connection with the love of God, and they feel some of God's love enter their heart. But that is not a permanent condition. Mm -hmm. And And to truly determine truth, it has to be a permanent condition, or at least the condition at the time you're examining the truth. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't know what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, but obviously that's a, a really big thing that 
has been shown to Frederick throughout this journey. And mm. someone wrote to me and asked that they and said that they couldn't see the evidence of Fred's developing relationship with God in this book. And yeah, I'm surprised at that comment. <laughs> um, I think that there's evident all the way through. Correct. And Fred is feeling, through his experience, he's he's noticing God's love everywhere mm. and he's he's opening his heart to that experience and being overwhelmed often, as it says at the start of this chapter. Correct. So um, I think it's very evident and he's learning so much about God's nature through people who have received God's love. Yes. And that's building his faith, it's opening his heart, and then he's opening his heart to God and receiving these truths. And yes, and of course he's quite a private individual, as yeah. you'll find out in the next couple yeah. of chapters. Yeah. And so you can't expect him to explain all of his emotions and feelings about what he was trying to explain. Yeah. He's trying to share with people a lot of facts about mm-hmm. the spirit world and life as he has found it to be in the spirit world. And, and he can't always share his emotions. And in fact, his feelings are that he doesn't really want to share his emotions mm. because it, they're private, they're, yeah. they're his personal feelings. Yeah. And so he doesn't generally share his emotions, although he does very frequently say that he's often overwhelmed yes. with all sorts of different emotions yeah. and sometimes very confused <laughs> by them all as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, he's had this reflection about you and your role. Mm-hmm. And as he says, I had abundant food for reflection. Which, which can I also say, he's really saying that all of his teachers were suggesting him to go down this road as well. So they were all suggesting that you've got to listen to what Jesus was saying because he was the word. You've got to, if you really want to check it with something, we'll check it with God's love, check it with the connection with the Holy Spirit to work out whether it's true or not. You can always You can always do that to check it out. And this is the truth. This is how you determine truth. Yes. Yeah. 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 So now he's just thinking about all of that. He's in these beautiful surroundings with Mahanin. They're walking together. But he finds himself drawn into this space of deep reflection and a very beautiful soul communication occurs between him and Mahani. Mm-hmm. Mahani is very sensitive to how Fred's feeling mm-hmm. and um, he withdraws into silence and then he, he does something beautiful which I'm just trying to find the quote. Uh, basically Fred says that he, he it felt like he physically and spiritually threw his arm around his shoulder and they began this kind of communication. Mm. But perhaps before that we should mention, um, well, I'll just read a little bit of the text about um, his, his feeling of reflection because that's, mm. chap- that's a theme in this chapter. Mm. Fred says, There are conditions of the mind when its yearnings are too heavy for words to raise into utterance. Mm. And or I feel too... the word the mind is probably the wrong word there. <laughs> Because well, he, it's not the mind that creates yearnings, it's the, it's the it's soul, the, soul the, the feelings, the yeah. heart that creates yeah. the yearnings. Yeah, it's very hard, if you think about it, to, um, to connect the yearning with a, a state in your mind. Correct. If you feel about If you just have a yearning, thought, a fleeting thought, yeah. without any real feelings associated yeah. with it, it doesn't create any yearnings whatsoever. No. And if you think about yearning, it's a feeling that comes is, up in you. It yeah. is a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so he says it's too heavy for words to raise into utterance mm. or too ponderous for the tongue to wield. Mm-hmm. They lie like the unknown treasures of the sea in the silent caves of our deep experience where the fathom line of language has not yet had length enough to reach. Mm. 
Mm. I really relate to that. It's, um, a gr it's a great, and he does mention, he, he actually refers to them now as soul longings when he says, and they who wish to see and understand the native worth and strength of these soul longings yes. must dive into the depths of sympathy in which they lie. Yeah. So he's now seeing them as soul longings. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's very, very hard to express what you feel through through language, yeah. very very difficult. Yeah. And unless somebody can feel what you feel, it is very very difficult. Particularly if they feel the opposite thing that you feel, mm -hmm. very very difficult for you to express your own feelings through language. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. And so he he kind of introduces to this us to this idea of there's a kinship that can happen um, if another person dives into the depths of sympathy with us. Mm -hmm. And really that's what now happens with him and Mahani. Mm -hmm. He says, simultaneously he seemed to throw both arm and soul around me. Mm. External objects faded from my sight while I was drawn into a rapt communion in which I could read his inmost soul. Mm. And this is really beautiful, the way that he describes in such poetic terms the way a soul communication can happen. This, and really that's what he's describing, isn't it? It's, mm. They're not uh, communicating verbally or telepathically. There's this soul communion, this transfer of knowledge and truth, really, mm. that Mahanin has gained through all his growth and years in the spirit world, uh, really being transmitted to Fred through his soul longings and yearnings to know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even say it's a transmission of knowledge and information. It's really a transmission of feelings. Yes. It's going yeah. back and forward between the two of them. Yeah. And, and, and like Fred said, he, he still hasn't been able to satisfy himself by the time he wrote this book as to how it actually occurred. <laughs> and, uh, and he still couldn't really explain it. <laughs> yeah, which is, that's what it's like with soul communication. Correct. You can't use words to explain it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So then he says, actually, the thing he really can't resolve is this. If this communion with a servant be so sweet, what shall I feel when the master is my host? If when on the way to Emmaus, I don't know how to say it properly, Emmaus, mm. the heart of the disciples burned within them in spite of their fearful, crushed and wounded souls, even when they knew him not, what will be the fervent heat when I see and know the Lord? Mm. So Frederick's saying, I, I had this soul communication with Mahanin. What's it going to be like when I do this with Jesus? How's it going to feel? And he references um, a passage in the Bible which speaks about after your crucifixion. Mm. Um, and I actually printed it out just so I could tell people what the, where it happens in the Bible. Um, it's just going to take me a bit, sorry. It's basically a story. There's two people who knew and they're walking along the road to... Mm, one of them was my brother Thomas. Yep. Mm. And they were feeling really sad that that you had passed and you'd been killed. Mm, and they were actually fleeing Jerusalem as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they were quite frightened as well. They were scared. <laughs> they were feeling downhearted. Mm. And you came to them and, um, in, in a, a different, different body. body. Mm. And they didn't recognise you, but you began to speak to them of God's truth and mm. the prophets. And it lifted, they, it lifted them up. And it says in the passage, which is actually from Luke, 
chapter 24, mm. that their hearts burned within them for mm. this passion for truth, mm. uh, even though, as Frederick says in the book, they didn't even recognise you yet. No, not initially. And then they went and had a meal with you, and mm. during that time they, they recognised who you were. Yeah. 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 But, but really what he's saying is there was these people who were with you, they didn't even know who you were, but when you spoke truth, when you conveyed God's truth to them, they were so, their hearts were so filled with this burning. Mm. What's it going to be like for me when I have this experience knowing who Jesus is as this mediator of the covenant? How is my heart going to burn and what kind of experience is it going to be? Mm. No, unfortunately for many, it's not like that at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> they meet me and uh, think that I'm someone else. <laughs> <laughs> but, but those who recognise you have a very different experience. Of course, yeah. and, and also the closer I become again to God, the, the more that experience will be felt mm. by people. But it's all, it's all because of the opening of the soul. Like This is why a lot of people do grieve naturally in my company. They, mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. find themselves speaking to me openly about their feelings quite freely. Yep. And the main reason why is because they can feel the openness inside of me to allow that to occur. And they can also feel part, part of God's love, at least at this point, and being reflected to them yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's always been the case. And it's not anything special about myself. It's, it's the same with anybody who receives God's love to that degree. I think, I think also it's important to point out that this is the way you communicate with God. So this is the kind of communication I enjoy with God as well and, and, and everyone can enjoy mm-hmm. with God. And, but, but if we're not sensitive at the soul level and to, to, to communicate with God requires deep sensitivity at the soul level. If you're not sensitive at the soul level, you won't hear God and you won't be able to feel God and you won't be able to feel God's love for you. And so it requires allowing yourself to become more sensitive. And this is what I see many people avoiding still. Many people even who have heard the truth as we're presenting it now, still avoiding the allowance of their soul to become sensitive, to to allow themselves to be, you know, open to this kind of communication. Mm. So when I feel feelings for them, they don't feel those feelings at all. (laughs) And and that's because they don't yet have a sensitivity of their soul to feel them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's important, hey? Mm. So they've been walking all this time while this soul communication has been happening just between Mahanin and Fred at this time. Mm. And they're coming to the end and Fred senses it and he's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want this to stop. <laughs> well, it was an automatic thing for him to yeah, say. Yeah. He didn't even think about it. Yeah. He was sort of woken up from his reverie. Yes. <laughs> and then I was saying, no, 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 not yet, not yet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he, and this is what it's like sometimes when you have that kind of feeling with God as well. Whenever anybody comes along and interrupts it, you get what, what, what? It takes a bit of quite a lot, and oftentimes quite a lot of, um, you know, gathering of yourself before you realise where you are again mm-hmm. because you've been, really been somewhere else. You've been in communication with, with this soul-to-soul communication which, which is independent of location yeah. and independent of you know, what, what you even understand intellectually. Mm. 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 Yeah. Okay. 
so before the break, we were just up to the point where um, Frederick and Mahanin were reaching a point in their journey mm -hmm. and their soul-based communication came to an end. Mm -hmm. And right before then, Fred had been reflecting and he'd been saying, what is it going to be like for me when I, when I have this kind of communication with you, Jesus? Mm -hmm. And um, how... How long is it going to take my soul to, to grow and purge itself of all these things before that point happens? Mm. And, so, and then at, simultaneously they're reaching the point um, where they need to move on to be a part of this gathering. And Mahanin smiles at him in his um, discomfort mm -hmm. and says something quite profound. Mm. He says, My experience in this life has taught me that it is always best to reach the mountain's peak before attempting to understand the view mm. or satisfy myself as to the effect the scene will produce upon me when I get there. Mm. And so he's, he's sort of using double meaning here by, to, by telling Fred, you know, it's better to wait and have your soul develop. You're not going to be able to imagine the beauty that, that mm. exists there. Mm. Um, but he's also suggesting, isn't he, that once you get to the view, you have a far greater understanding of what's past as well. And I feel this is one of the main things that goes wrong here on earth with regard to truth. A lot of people want to determine what the truth is before they even know it or have had any experience of it. And yet they want to know the truth before then. And of course that's not possible. Yeah. And often we want to know what we're going to have to go through. Correct. Before we even just start going through it. Yes. And there's not much trust. And particularly when it comes to emotions, there's not much trust. We, we are constantly trying to avoid future painful emotions and so as a result we are often avoiding an experience that could could help us develop quite quite markedly yeah and that's unfortunate because uh, and a lot of times too we're also making guesses which we turn into expectations. Sta statements or expectations yeah. of truth and and unfortunately it's only when you get to the end of the development that you understand most of the truth and so everything that I'm saying to people is not about what I'm expecting to happen. Mm. It's what I know is already, has already happened. Mm. Like, so anytime I refer to God's truth, which is very, very different to my personal opinion, I'm referring to things that I know for certain, not because I, they've happened. Like they, they are experiences, events that have happened. And so I have a very clear concept of how they work in comparison to some future event, which I've got no idea about, in fact. <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking about what has happened. And everything I share about the truth is all about what has happened, not about what will happen in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to know what will happen in the future, given the fact that God's an infinite being, and therefore there must be an infinite number of things that possibly could happen in the future. Yeah. And most of the time we're not in a state where we can even guess what those things would be. Yeah. Yeah. So... So we can only accurately talk about what we know to be truth. Yeah. And that is only based upon things that have happened in the past to yeah. us as a personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very important point. Mm. So now they've, they've reached this kind of peak physically mm. as well. Yes. And looking out over this beautiful plain. Yes. And Fred waxes lyrical for a while about just how beautiful it is. And yes. he gives a beautiful description. But he also quotes, um, he quotes a poem by Homer. Yep. 
and talks about Homer's picture of Elysium, mm. uh, which is sort of another word for utopia or mm. paradise, mm. Uh, and this poem. And he's saying the scene before me really resembles even what he described in that poem. Yes. And he says, well, that makes sense really, doesn't it? That he might have come here in his sleep state because why are we restricting all of this inspiration to prophets? Poets can have it as well. And hang on, even I had it. (laughs) And I'm not even a poet. I can remember waking up and thinking, what 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 did I, yeah, what was was going on? There's something really beautiful. And so he's really just reflecting again upon this powerful, power of the sleep state and the experiences that yes and you know there's references here to the in the bible of where paul did that in i think it was ephesians or i can't remember the exact oh, look, book I, of paul's i that, looked it up the second corinthians, second corinthians again corinthians, it was, was it? Yeah. Uh, chapter 12 verse 2 where it yeah, talks, where about, talks the about the third heaven, the third heaven. Yep. so paul went and visited this third heaven which is actually the location that that um just above, uh, this is the transition between the second and the third yep. sphere, which is where um, Afra is being taken by Mahir. So yep. b- basically what they're doing is they're observing now mm-hmm. and they're beginning not only observing the location, but they're now going to observe an event, yes. which is all about the transition between the second and the third dimension or yes. the second and third sphere. Yes, mm. yes, and th- this is pretty special. Mm. Um, of course, we've... You and I have observed many thousands of these events <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and been present at them. So um, it's a fairly accurate description of the kind of thing that happens at these events. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Before we get to that, Fred says something else here. He says, I became more than ever impressed with the fact of how completely the two conditions intersphere each other for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm-hmm. And my understanding open to the appreciation of the declaration, you must be born again mm. before, one, uh, before one is able to participate in the revelation of the world of spirit as the natural man becomes absorbed in the world of matter. Mm. And really within that paragraph he's saying, I was understanding that this has to be this soul opening mm. to matters spiritual in order for us to see and appreciate and hear even truth what's really going on what's really going on because as he himself knows if he was taken to this location without having had these soul-based realizations all the way through the book that he's had up till now he wouldn't he would be observing this situation in completely different light than what he is currently observing it he's currently observing it with a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. and a lot of soul-based longings is all a part of his experience here now yeah. and none of those things might have happened if if he was taken there right from the time he first passed over yes he would just be standing there going this is a pretty scene and what are those people doing but mm. all of these heart things and these things he's feeling and the interaction with Mahanin, all of these things are happening because he's been through a process of opening up yes. and really commencing on the road to being born again he's, yes and Mahin's like, um, loaned him energy to get to this point, yep. you know, and it becomes clear later in the book, in the book that that's the case. Yep. But he, because Fred's n- normal condition is not quite as good as this, yep. and so Mahin has to loan him energy to stay in this place. Yep. And but as a, it's interesting because while he does this, 
Fred is getting his soul overwhelmed. Yes. And again, he's got the capacity for some growth yes. through these experiences because his soul is being overwhelmed by the experience yep. and he's allowing himself to be overwhelmed yep. by the experience. And you can see later on, even in this chapter, how he's enabling himself to be overwhelmed in all his different senses. Exactly. Not, not just with the sense of knowing or with the sense of his feelings, yep. but also in the senses of his, the sound and, the, yep. and all of the other the senses, smells the and, smells yep. and all the other senses. Yep. Mm. And really, so he's, he's allowing that, this overwhelm. It's helping him to grow, but it's also doing this beautiful thing for his faith. Mm. And the more I progress or don't progress, I recognise how important faith is to our progression. Yes. Without it, it's just it's a hard slog and it doesn't really happen. Yes. But faith is such a crucial, beautiful element, uh, quality to grow in our soul that seems to enable progression. Yes. And all of these experiences are growing Fred's faith. Mm. Mm. And, and I find it interesting, like in the spirit world, it is easier sometimes to have faith because you have a tendency to remember the events that created faith a lot more easily than you do here on earth. On earth, quite often I find people forgetting their faith-strengthening experiences. So, for example, they go through an emotional overwhelm period. They come out of it feeling a lot of God's love. And then two days later, they forget that that mm. thing even happened. Mm. Whereas in the spirit world, you don't forget those things as easily. And as a result, you always go back to them and refer to them as a part of your building of your own faith. Mm. And this is what I feel many people on earth need to learn to do as well. They need to remember past experiences that have built their faith and never forget them, never get rid of them in their memory and never dismiss them anymore. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people do dismiss them. And in fact, some people throw them away completely. And you say, but can't you remember you did that? Oh, yes, I did too. You know, oh, that happened. Oh, yes, it did too. Mm. And, and I find many people even become quite dark because they do not remember some of the face strength and experiences that they've actually had in the past. Do you think that's because on earth we don't trust our soul-based experiences above our physical? Like in the spirit world, while there's a soul-based experience of growth or faith building happening, it's usually reflected in the environment around us. Whereas here on earth, it's a totally personal experience that while it may affect our attractions, while it's going on, it's a very feeling-based and on the earth at the moment, nobody trusts, like globe collectively, there's a huge mistrust of feelings. There is, yes. That, that Do you is, think that's why? Well, that's one forget? reason why. I think there are many reasons why. I feel, feel that is one very good reason why. But, but there, are also a, there is a large amount of negative influence on earth as well, mm. not only from, from spirits but also from other people. Mm. There's a, you know, when you do have soul-based experiences on earth, most of those experiences are you know, laughed at, ridiculed, or somehow made fun of, and we often are humiliated through the process. So, so there is this active desire of the environment to, to suppress these kind of soul-based experiences. So that, that's a, also a heavy burden which we bear on earth, which, which is often in the higher spheres of spirit world we don't experience, right? Of course, you do experience that in the hells of the spirit world. So people in the hells don't have many soul-based experiences mm. like that as a result. But then there's also the fact that we lack faith. 
that we don't want to remember good experiences because we contrast a good experience with our general bad experience and there's a lot of grief to feel. So, so often we don't remember things because whenever we remember them, we feel like crying. Mm. And, and most people don't want to cry, so they don't want to remember. And so th there are so many reasons why this problem exists on the earth where people don't honour these soul-based experiences that they actually have. And then, of course, there are a lot of misinterpretations of soul-based experiences where they think that the cause of it or the, or the thing they learnt during that soul-based experience was completely different to what was actually being attempted, what, what God or spirits around them were actually attempting to teach them. Yeah. And so we have a misinterpretation of the experience, often through the filters of belief systems on earth. So, so for example, if a Christian is going through a soul-based experience, he then thinks it's God talking to him. Whereas if a new age person goes through the soul-based experience, he thinks that he's somehow become God. Yeah. And then, you know, there's all these misinterpretations of soul-based experiences which of course also mean that we, it's hard to have faith because everyone has a different interpretation of what is the actual truth. Of course, the actual truth is the same for everybody, but mm. everyone has a different interpretation here on earth, whereas in the spirit world, that's not the case. Yeah, and I, I have a lot of... Um, I sometimes almost feel angry about having to trust my soul <laughs> above every other bit of negative feedback that comes towards me because yeah, it feels emotionally challenging to trust myself. And But again, it's driven by fear, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like whenever we get angry, there's a fear underneath that. And the fear for most people when they trust their soul is that they are going to be humiliated, ridiculed and so forth, which is probably true, yeah. actually. Yeah. The, the reality is the earth is very much, and spirits in the hells are very much focused around trying to, to, to suppress and completely, uh, like, like, destroy experiences like that. Yeah. Because, because these kind of experiences give you a faith to grow and they give you desire to progress and they give you all of these other beautiful things. And uh, people in dark condition don't want you to do those things. Yeah. So there, are, there is a heavy motivation here on earth to ignore them. Yeah, and I often think about that in terms of um, people wanting you to do miracles and you performing healings and certain things in the first century, it grew people's faith because there was something... To a degree. It, like it wasn't... It was only to a degree, wasn't it? If we, yeah, you know, If you sure. think of all the people we knew when I passed, they didn't have much faith the day that I died. No. <laughs> the, the day that you turned back up again, their then they faith did, of course. Really did rise. So, this <laughs> exactly. is what I'm saying. I, I suppose I feel like an injury that was on the planet then and still exists now mm. is that people want an external evidence to themselves mm. with which to grow their faith. They don't trust their, their personal internal experience with God very much. Mm. Whereas when you demonstrated it, that helped people have more faith. Mm. I agree to a point. But Obviously, we can't grow faith to the point where we're going to be at one with God or make really big progress unless it does start, start internally. Yes. Internally, yes. But, but God is not um, cruel to us. God, God is always trying to provide external evidence to us that these internal feelings and events are true. It's just that we are programmed to ignore them. Yeah. So, so, so it's not like God isn't providing us with plenty of evidence because the average person has a lot of evidence provided to them that these events are true. Mm -hmm. But... But unfortunately, because of the heavy weight on the other side of the pendulum, you know, yeah. the, the weight of 
the the attack from the world around and the spirit world in the hells that comes upon people on earth who have these experiences generally um, you you finish up throwing those experiences away yeah and sometimes to me it feels like there's volume dials right <laughs> and yeah. because of fear I've got the the volume dialed right up on negative spirits, I can hear them, or the world's opinions, all of these things. Fear causes us to tune into those things. It does. Whereas when we start to challenge fear um, and to grow it, which we have to do if we're going to grow our faith, mm. it's like you can sort of turn down the volume dial. God's messages have always that you just referred to have always been there, but we've got the dial turned down and not listening because we're tuned into this other frequency. Correct. And then it's almost like you can turn down the dial on the world's negative messages and turn it up on God's messages. You can. But this, again, faith seems to be this really vital ingredient. I don't think it's just faith, though. It's about releasing fear. Because unless you release fear, you will not turn up the dial listening to God. Yeah. You will not. And you will always honour the the world's opinions before God's. you're trying to prevent fear... And so you're, you're listening to the things that, that potentially cause you to feel more afraid and trying to allay them. So this is a big problem, and it's, but it's a big problem with our internal way in which we're processing things. What, what's happening is we're not releasing fear. Yeah. And not releasing fear causes huge amounts of problems. It also prevents us from, as you say, turning up the <laughs> dial towards God. It, it suppresses or attenuates the dial towards God and accentuates or amplifies the dial towards fear. Yep. And, and I feel we've got to be very careful because, like, as you know, we live in the same house, but I have a completely different outlook to fear than what you have. Absolutely. And, and I feel this is the main problem that most people face is that they're not allowing themselves to go through their fear. And so, therefore, they are going to be tuned in to the things that cause them to feel worse mm-hmm. and not tuned in to the things that cause them to feel better yeah and and you can do that differently but it means giving up your fears about the world mm-hmm. you need to give up your fear about what the world will think about you what the world will say about you what they'll do to you. Mm-hmm. you you need to give up all of those things and and for most people they're not prepared to give those things up and so they never truly experience the benefits of having this other connection yeah. Because all they want to do is be tuned in with the world. And prevent the fear, prevent the fear, prevent the fear. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't even feel they're doing that. I feel what, because they're not preventing fear. But they're fear. trying They're to. trying to, but, but they're not really preventing fear. And, and this is the silly thing about the whole process is yeah. that you're not really preventing anything. No, it's still right. happening. Yeah. And, in fact, you're not experiencing any joy either. Yeah. And I feel everybody I talk to, even you, when I talk to the, about these particular subjects, I find there is this, this constant going back to the fear rather than thinking about the positive side yep. of what's happening. And what, yep. what happens from a po- in a positive direction is very, very different. You, you are not going to be focused on this fear. You're not even going to honour it for one moment. <laughs> You're not even going to have a consideration, oh, what do they think of me? Or isn't it terrible what they think? You don't even go there once you've dealt with your fear about the world. And this is why I said to people in the first century that they have to deal with the world. Yeah. They have to deal with the, the, the way the world sees them, the way the world views them, how the world is going to treat them. Mm-hmm. Because it's those things, how the world sees you, how they'll react to you, how they treat you, how they'll attack you, 
that cause you to not live in this space where you can communicate with God and communicate with you know these beautiful events that can occur in your soul that causes your soul to grow. Yeah. And and I find most people are always gravitating back to the fear, back to the fear. Mm-hmm. They're being pulled backwards to that place every time. And even here, Fred's saying, as natural man becomes absorbed in the world of matter, it is literally like ever, we're all absorbed, those of us who live in fear, in this world that is at the moment fake. totally fake and totally in opposition to the way of God. And totally in opposition to matter itself, yeah. in the sense that this is the this is. What do you mean? In the, well, matter is matter. all created in harmony with love. Yeah. So everything that you have inside of you that's out of harmony with love is in complete opposition to matter itself, mm-hmm. even. And that's evidence because our world is totally polluted and falling to bits in a lot of areas. Yes, but if you look at the worst area, which is the human soul, it's fallen to bits to the most extent <laughs> no. there, and that is because most people want to imbibe the fear-based feelings and operation because they're afraid. They don't want to confront their fear. They don't want to feel their fear. They don't want to let go of their fear. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of being attacked or ridiculed or humiliated or something else along those lines. And unless you give up those emotions, you are never going to have many experiences. You have some, but you'll never have many experiences where your soul leads you. And to progress on the path to God, you must have experiences where your soul leads you all the time. That's the only way to progress to God. Yep. So, so in the end, you will have only mostly the, you know, those experiences. Every experience will be a soul-based experience leading you further on your progression to God, but not when fear is present. Mm-mm. When fear is present, it's very, very different. Well, and even the desire to act to allay fear rather than just confront it, yes. even that soul shift, or the well, desire I to... think that's the most crucial, crucial soul shift we can make yeah, but the desire to allay fear is really caused by a deeper problem, and that is the desire to avoid pain. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? The emo- yeah. Most of the things we're afraid of are painful. painful. Yeah. <laughs> and so really it's not the fear that is so much the problem. It's the desire to avoid the experience of pain yeah. that is the real problem. And all of our fears revolve around the desire to avoid the experience of pain. Mm. And so this is what we need to allow ourselves to go through. We need to allow ourselves to experience painful feelings. And then we'll get through these fears. We'll then allow ourselves to feel the fear. It will all go away. And then we can have these soul-based experiences that are pure in their nature. Mm. This is the kind of experience that Fred just had. Yeah. 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 And which many of us have, but very infrequently. Yes. yes, and then, as you said, we forget about them in favour of list, turning up the dial on the world again. Correct. And it stagnates us. Yes. And, and sometimes we even go back from where we were. We do because we listen to the world too much. Yeah. We, what happens to many of us is we have one of these experiences and so all of a sudden the dial's turned up towards God and the, yeah. the real truth of the universe. We then tell everyone around us about the experience <laughs> and in that moment everyone around us generally attacks us or ridicules us yeah. or humiliates us or something. And then we learn through that experience that we can't have those experiences or we, if we do have them we can't relate them. Yeah. And that, of course, causes us to suppress and therefore we often end up in a worse condition because of our fear. And that causes us then to not have those experiences. So many of us have had these experiences in particular in our childhood Mm. but have not experienced them many times in our our adult life as a result of that. 
So I find that's really sad in a way because because what we're doing is we're honouring the unreal world above the real world. Yeah. That's what we're doing when we do that. Yeah. And whenever we honour our fear and we honour or try to protect our pain, that's really what we're doing. We're honouring the unreal world. Mm. And, and we need to allow ourselves to go through those experiences instead, the painful experiences, release the unreal world. You know, because the, the reality is we have no reason to fear anything, right? Even though we all believe we do, mm. we have no reason to fear anything, even death. And, and yet most of us do. And, and there's plenty of people who think they don't, but when they're face-to-face with it, they do. <laughs> and we need to stop doing that. We need to start focusing on what is the real experience and allowing ourselves to have soul-based interactions with the real experience. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So thank you very much for that uh, discussion <laughs> about fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something else that happened in the chapter now, sure. which is I referenced it earlier, where Fred is talking about the way teaching and learning happens yes. in the spirit world. And I, yep. I feel it's very important. So he's talking about Mayanin and he says, so for the two, save for the two brief remarks I have recorded, my companion made no attempt to disrupt my contemplation but left me to drink in all the knowledge I could appropriate without assistance. A pleasant method of tuition universally adopted here, leaving the mind in the first place to adapt and assimilate that to which it naturally opens, Mm -hmm. to which is added emphasis and strength by replies and explanations to the queries the revelations call forth. Yes. So this is a really magic way that I think the best type of learning happens mm. is when our teachers engage with our natural curiosity. Well, well, first they present us with an experience. Yes. That's yes. what, that's what yes. he's doing here, isn't it? Yes. Presenting them with an experience and then allowing their curiosity about the experience to bubble out of the individual. <laughs> and then eventually they ask questions. Yeah. And then, of course, they satisfy those questions with answers. Yeah. But, but on earth, we barely get to have the experience and so what happens is we barely get to ask any questions about the experience because we don't even know what the experience is to yeah. ask questions about. Yeah. And that's because most of us are, are heavily involved in, with fear. And so when you're involved with fear, you are always suppressing a new experience, a new experience rather than actually embracing one. Yeah. And whereas here in the spirit world, because there's less fear, mm-hmm. particularly where Fred exists here, mm-hmm. He's allowed to embrace these new experiences, go through the experience, and then, of course, it becomes pregnant with further revelation. Question, and then there's someone there to help you learn. Mm. It's very interesting what you said about experience, though, because all of us need to have experiences in order to have soul-based learning. Correct. And, again, we could talk about fear and the impact that fear, living in fear has mm. upon us engaging with new experiences or experiences. Uh, when we live really, really mired down in fear, we begin to limit even the most basic of experiences. Yeah. Um, Perhaps we and, could give an illustration of that that Fred could have done. Yes. Like, so Fred could have arrived in the spirit world, had his first experience at the 
you know, when on he the slope. on the slope yeah. when he first arrived, or even in this chapter, what he could have done right at the beginning of the chapter, he could have started talking with Mayan, and then Mayan says to him, "I'd like to take you somewhere." And Fred's like, "I don't want to go with you." Yeah. Where is it? Where What's is happening? it? What's happening? Yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah. And and Mayan goes, "Well, why don't you come and see?" Oh, well, I don't know if I can trust you. So you imagine this would be the kind of emotions that people on Earth would have. I don't know if I can trust you. Yeah. I don't know if I should go. What if it turns out to be bad for me? Yeah. What if it turns out that <laughs> something bad happens? What if I don't like it and I can't yeah. get away? Yeah. And, and so most people on earth in that same situation would probably go, I don't want to go with you. Yeah. Right? Then, because they say that, they would not have arrived where he now is <laughs> to have the experience. And so there is no experience and therefore nothing that is pregnant with suggestion to further questioning. And so therefore they would learn nothing. And that's how the average person on earth would actually treat this experience. Yeah. 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 Sad in a way. But. It is really sad. Um, but it's a product of us living in yeah. fear. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's sorry, great. Sorry, you saying? No, no, that's good. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Except better. <laughs> I don't know. You, you were going to say it better, is that what you're saying? No, sorry. You said it better. Sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I just uh, find that contrast between what would happen for the average person in Fred's situation. Like the average person on earth is very untrusting. They don't really trust anybody. They don't really have any security in following someone they don't know to go to a place that that person encourages them to go to. Yeah. They don't, they can't feel the good intentions of people around them. Most of the time there isn't good intentions in mm. people around them, so they assume that therefore everyone they meet must have bad intentions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this then, sensitivity to being able to feel is such an asset, isn't correct. it? Correct. Because it gives us so many more powers of discernment of yes. whether this is a good idea or not. Yes. We're not just relying on words, but we can really feel things. Yes. And also this other thing that you, that you hinted at, the understanding of our will, that we can say yes and then we can say no. Yes. We can change our mind. A if, lot of us don't have that feeling. Not at all. And we well, feel like, you, oh, I said yes, or I've got to, you know. Well, and, you think about your childhood. Yeah. For the majority of people, you can understand why they don't have that feeling yeah, because yeah. in their childhood they were never allowed to change their mind without there being some form of punishment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, by the time they've reached an adult... Now they're just afraid of even changing their mind and afraid of making a wrong decision, so they don't make any at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and that's unfortunate because you then don't get to have experiences. Exactly. And if you don't have experiences, you can't have soul growth. Yeah. So, you know, this is where I feel a lot of people on earth are locking down their life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I've got heaps of emotions going on from just everything we've just been talking about, so I need to get my head back in the game. Um, And I suppose what we're trying to do here with our book group is we're just trying to give people... We we don't want to have an exhaustive discussion of the book. We want to... We basically... Our aim is to basically point out interesting points that, that... are available for further contemplation (laughs) (laughs) if a person desires to contemplate and have further soul experiences about what they've read. Yes, yeah. Uh, We don't need to go into everything, do we? No, And and we haven't done that for that reason. Exactly, Mm. exactly. The last couple of chapters have just been so full of points that you know, are worthy yeah. of consideration that we've had some pretty yeah. big discussions. But for for us, for us, this chapter is very emotional, isn't it? 
Yeah, this one resists the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, both of us have, you know, both of us have had all of these experiences mentioned in these chapters, in this chapter, and both of us have memories of being at these events and and so forth. And so, you know, for us, when we read a chapter like that, we spend most of our time crying because we feel that we miss it. <laughs> and, and sometimes and I don't feel worthy of my own memories. If the, that yeah, makes sense. Like yeah. I feel that I remember being there, but I don't feel worthy of that uh, experience anymore. Yeah, which yeah. is... It's an emotion. Different than being worthy of your own experience, I feel. But... Sorry, what do you mean? Well, I feel that all you're saying really is that you're not worthy to have that experience, to have had that experience. Yes, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. 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 Which is different than being worthy to your own experience now. Yeah. So you, you feel more like you're only worthy to have this experience now than have some of the memories of the other experiences yes, we've had. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. But also there's a feeling of missing it as well. Yeah, for me there's mostly a feeling of missing it. Um, that you know that I have when I read these kind of chapters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the ceremony that takes place. There is a lot of stimulus that's very beautiful. So there's trees and flowers and smells and all of these things. Mm-hmm. But then, as Fred um, rightly asks, there's always a purpose to things here. What is the purpose of this? <laughs> and um, Mahanin says. It is a time of examination, graduation, if you like it better. Some, perhaps many of the friends here assembled, have become entitled to promotion, and this gathering is for the purpose of testing them. If you prefer the idea, it is a judgment day. Yes. And so there goes the idea that you have one judgment day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all over and done with. No. Which is good. It shows that progression is eternal. And, Correct. Um, that's, again, a theme running through these last few chapters. And that each step that you engage is a step that is like a probation for the next step. Yeah. 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 Mm. And something really beautiful is that Mahanin doesn't even know how many are going to graduate That's right. or make this transition. There's a test that is applied. And so let's talk about what happens in the test. Or perhaps we should talk about the fact that change is celebrated here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many things there's here so we could talk things, about. Yeah. I think we must assume, <laughs> let people ponder about the thought that change is celebrated. Yeah, let, that just <laughs> And also ponder about the, their own life. Do they celebrate change or do they avoid it? I, like yeah. most people on earth I see avoiding change. Yes. And, and very resistive to change, in fact. And they certainly don't celebrate it. If anything, they oppose it yes. completely. And that's, that. I had three points for reflection or consideration for our viewers today. Mm-hmm. And they were, um, yeah, firstly, that how much do we celebrate our own change mm-hmm. in ourselves and in others? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that quote on the top of page 211 in my book, uh, they talk about the fact that change is um, celebrated, but also that those friends who graduate are bound by a cord of pure love to their friends who have not yet graduated. And so the question is... Um, so change, our, change isn't viewed with fear, basically. That's what yeah. they're saying. I like the way he says it. Um, I understand the gathering better 
as I understand the gathering better, he says, I'm more impressed with the idea of watching a wedding yes. <laughs> than a parting ceremony. Yeah. And, and isn't that like the earth, hey, we see everything as a, every change is, oh, there's going to be loss, there's going to be loss. Yes. But in the spirit world, every change results in more given to you. So yeah. you're less, you know, concerned about. You the, celebrate. Yeah, you celebrate because you, cause you know that the change is going to result in more gifts in your life. Yeah. And so the questions for people working through this chapter is to consider the relationships they have with people on earth who they say they love. Mm. And how do they feel about parting ways with those people? Do they still feel a bond with them or do they feel they need to be near them in some kind of way in order to receive or give love? Mm. Because Mm -hmm. usually that is indicative of an addiction. Yes. And then the second... And um, and driven by fear. The relationship's driven by fear, not love. And that's Mm. right, by Mm. fear and not love, Mm. which is the source. Fear is the source of the addiction. And then also the lack of feelings of jealousy and competition between these people who are... And how often do we, people on earth, feel jealous of others who are progressing? Yes, it's a terrible problem here on earth. When one person has a bit better life than we do... Instead of being happy for that person, we're often trying to pull his life apart. Yes, it's <laughs> in order particularly to... predominant in Australia, I think. Well, I think, it's, I do you think, think it's, it's global. Yeah, I do think it's global. It's a major problem globally. Obviously, in different areas, it, there's not a problem in different areas. When I say in different countries, there's not a problem in different areas. For, for instance, if you're in the USA and you're um, a real capitalist, yeah. and you have earned more money, then most people say, oh, that's really good, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas here in Australia, that's even looked down upon many Well, our times, convict right? roots probably <laughs> prejudice against yeah. people who are wealthy. But in the USA, if you are a Christian and then you start confronting the Christian faith, then you get severely attacked. Mm. So, so while you may be safe in one area to grow or change... Yeah you are not safe in another area to grow and change. I see, yes. And that's very common throughout the world. If you, if yeah. you look at all of the different things that happen around the world, you can see that the majority of people around the world are not safe to grow in every area. Mm. You know, in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, it wasn't safe to be a scientist. No. <laughs> or even before then, it wasn't safe to be a scientist, you know. You just have one little advancement and somebody wants to hang you or put you in prison. Yeah just because of the so-called blasphemy that they feel that you've engaged. And, and in a lot of ways, not much has really changed in that nowadays many Western countries, of course, won't hang you for a different opinion, but they'll hang and draw and quarter you from an emotional perspective mm-hmm. and from a media perspective and so forth. Mm-hmm. So they won't hesitate to do all of those things still, yeah. which, is a, which is all opposing change. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the ceremony and the different, rather than going through everything towards the end of the chapter. But mm. basically we see that silence plays a really big part in this, um, this festival that takes place. And a, a whole bunch of people, a multitude of people come together and um, there is some song. They make sound and song and it's very beautiful, more beautiful than anything Fred's ever heard before. And then the, the a leader of this ceremony steps forth and Fred's waiting for some great oration of some words or something. But to his surprise, everyone becomes silent mm-hmm. and they sort of bow their heads in preparation for a blessing, really, mm. or as if asking for a blessing, really. Mm. And um, this is where this, um, 
this test is applied now. Mm. And he actually sees visually the test being applied. Mm-hmm. So this, this, <coughs> this light coming from a, an orb mm-hmm. that is held by the person in charge of the ceremony and that gives forth this light that then falls upon people. Mm-hmm. But he says very beautifully that God is almost heard in the hearts of those who are ready to take the next, tra- the next step, to make this transition. Mm-hmm. And those, so everyone has, in effect, opened their hearts in prayer. Mm-hmm. They're asking for a blessing from God or they're asking, mm-hmm. they're opening to God. And some of them receive sort of the answer that, yes, it's your time to move forward, and mm-hmm. some don't. Mm-hmm. And this all happens in silence, mm-hmm. and that's quite beautiful for Fred to observe. Mm-hmm. And he says there's a sanctuary in this silence. Mm-hmm. It's a holy silence. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally so, because it's a soul-based, it's a personal soul-based interaction between the people involved and God, mm-hmm. and between each individual involved and God. So, so why wouldn't there be silence? Yeah. And in fact, any words that Omra, the man who came to with the orb, could have ever said would only degrade Mm -hmm. from the beauty of the experience. And so this is why he remains silent. And and in fact, I love the way it all wraps up even. You know, it's just like as soon as it's all done, they just go with another group of spirits who go to the next sphere. Yep. Bang, and that's the end of the celebration. There's yeah. no talking about it. And, yeah, you know, rehashing. rehashing what, what happened? It, what what happened do you think then when that happened? Yeah. 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 There's nobody getting all upset that they've all gone or anything yeah. like that. Or that they didn't get to <laughs> or go Or they either. didn't get to go themselves. He talks about a feeling of deep gratitude between everyone present. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that, that's a beautiful indication in, in itself, isn't it, of... Yeah. A person or, or a group, a group of persons who obviously have let go of a lot of the jealousy and other emotions of the earth mm. and who are ready at least even to observe the parting of their friends and feel some joy for the fact that it's actually occurring. Yeah. And, uh, and because it's such a personal experience, there is no need for anybody to say anything about the experience. Many of them have been present before at this same event and watched others go. Mm -hmm. And so they know and understand what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And it is such a... And so you can understand why they sing before the event. (laughs) But once the event occurs, everything's silent. It's silent. And during the event, it's silent. And perhaps as we start to wrap up, that's something that I would like to um, reflect upon is Mm -hmm. how much... All, there's heaps of description and a great many things happen for Fred in this chapter, mm. but about 80 to 90% of them happen in complete silence. Mm-hmm. And that's another point for reflection for our viewers is to mm. think about how often do you create space for silence mm. and how much of your, how aware are you that your soul work, a lot of it occurs on your own with God Mm. and in silence Mm. and we very rarely make space for silence or really honour the um, power that some of the things that the most important things we do are silent from a verbal perspective. Mm. Prayer, for example, uh, is something that originates in our heart Mm -hmm. and while sometimes we might put words to it, it's the heart engagement that is Mm. really what is creating the connection with God and Mm. so I found it really interesting to reflect on how much in that chapter actually just happened in complete silence. Yes. yes. And for Fred, it was such a rich experience yeah. and he received a lot of truth yes. during it. 
And one thing we notice when we go to stay with people a lot is they don't like silence. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I can't see how you can ever have experiences that are based around the soul if you if you don't like silence because there's not enough space mm. like audi- or audibly mm-hmm. there's not enough space available for you to have the experience if there's no capacity for any silence it's something that i before while i really seriously wanted to avoid and deny my soul mm-hmm. i very rarely had any silence if I was in the car the radio was on Mm -hmm. if I was you know I was at home I was in front of the telly telly or listening to the to music Uh, I found uh, talking to people on Mm -hmm. the phone in Mm -hmm. person uh, I found it very difficult to spend any time in silence Mm -hmm. because obviously that created space I would even have to at one point in my life I would have to go to bed with the radio on I couldn't even have any silence to go to sleep with and it was because there was so much bubbling up from my soul that I didn't want to engage with. Mm. These days, if there's too much noise for too long a period, if I'm with people for too long or if there's music and then there's TV, and then, I find it quite oppressive. Mm. Uh, and As you even, know, the first thing I do when I get in a car is turn off the radio, yeah. <laughs> not turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> Most people have it on and I turn it off. <laughs> And I used to listen to so much music mm. and these days I rarely listen to music. Partly I'm avoiding some sadness there as well, but, uh, but for different But a lot reasons. of times music, it's like a lot of these experiences where there's noise coming at you from the world. They are mo- it's modifying your personal experience yes. and that's the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole purpose of it most of the time is for us to modify our personal experience and engage with somebody else's experience. And we do that because we want to avoid what's going on inside of our soul. It's one of our primary methods of avoiding what is happening inside of us. And we can't expect to to grow really very well at all if we're so focused on avoiding all the experiences that we've got to inundate our life (laughs) with noise and and things and and experiences. Rather than have the experience and contemplate and feel feels during the experience. during the experience, rather than having to share the experience, and I I even think it goes into things like taking photos and all these mm. kind of things. Like a lot of people can't be present in an experience without getting out the camera mm. because because they can't feel the experience yeah. and remember the experience. Yeah. They they're so detuned from their soul that they need a photo mm-hmm. to remind them that they had the experience. Yeah. And without the photo, they can't remember the experience. Yeah. 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 And it's all the same kind of a problem. And it is a problem. It's sort of like a growing problem, isn't it, in mm-hmm. the technological age? We're recording things, we're photo- photographing yeah. things, you know, we're Facebooking things, we're sharing things. And a lot of it is because we don't feel valid in our own experience unless someone else is sharing, sharing it, it or confirming mm. it for us. And Correct. It's a huge, huge issue, actually. It is a big problem. Um, where... A lot of the people in this book that Frederick has been exposed to on earth have suffered abuse or neglect and they've had lack and that's created pain within their soul. Um, But these days I see this modern day pain which is really this deep feeling of emptiness a lack of trust in our own experience, our own emotions, a lack of embracing of our will. Mm. We've got no want for experiences or material things, Mm. but there's like this 
emptiness that we're always trying to avoid by having stimulus and having other people engaged with us. Mm. So it's almost like these people that Fred knew who suffered had nothing Mm. physically and emotionally. There was no love or Mm. input. Whereas now it's like there's this different currency that everyone's trading in Mm. and they call it love, but it's empty. Mm. Uh, And it's just because it's so empty, there's an emptiness inside that Mm. everyone's masking with activities and physical things. Mm. And sometimes to me, that seems like a harder obstacle to overcome. Well, I feel it's quite hard to overcome because it's addictive. Yeah. You're learning how to detune from yourself and your own pain. And yep. again, it's about avoiding pain. Yep. You're learning to detune from yourself and your own pain by becoming very, very busy. And the more things there are around you, the more busy you can become. And yep. so you see and observe a lot of people having this, that, you know, five things happening at Checking all at the same emails, time. Checking your emails, listening to your headphones yeah, and yeah. Uh, texting a friend yeah. all at the same time. It's very rare to see nowadays a child doing its homework in quiet, yeah. you know, there's a yeah. radio going or a telly going or, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. or some kind of headphones yeah. on or yeah. something happening. You know, it's very rare to see anybody travel without some kind of noise available where they, where they just, you know, they're always engaged in something where they're observing it or hearing it. And, and it's all, like you say, about avoiding pain. Mm. And sometimes if we're, if we're going to be sincere in terms of our progress... We're going to need to start to allow ourselves to just feel what we feel rather than trying to avoid what we feel. Mm. And that's a major change that many of us are going to have to make in this life compared to lives past, yeah. you, know, you know, in history. In times past. History yeah. in, in times past and in lives past, you know, there wasn't so many ways yeah. in, uh, that you could distract yourself from what was really happening in your life. Yeah. And now there are just so many ways that are so noisy and intensely <laughs> absorbing that, you know, it's so easy to get it distracted from your life. Yeah. And this is where you see, like, video games have become so popular for the same reason. They're yeah. just so absorbing. They take up so much time. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all part of denying your own soul-based feelings. Mm. It's a way of avoiding how you really feel. Mm-hmm. And these people weren't avoiding how they felt. In fact... They'd gotten to where they were by Feeling. being sensitive to how they felt. Yeah. They, they got to where they were by being sensitive to God's love and wanting God's love and desiring to feel and express themselves through themselves through this process of loving others and themselves and in, a, in a re- interaction with God. So, so this kind of progression um, is very, you know, rare on earth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, fear of change and also desire to to be filled up with experiences that are not of your own soul's. Yeah, they're not soul experiences. Soul experiences. They're almost avoidance of soul's experiences, mm. aren't mm. they? Very much so. And and these these experiences that Fred has observed or taken part in, right up, and we're nearly finished our book. We've got mm-hmm. a couple of chapters left, but right up until this point. They've all been very engaging, feeling, soul-based experiences. Yes. And um, it's a big lesson. Yes. Yeah. And you and I have been sort of the Omra characters of these kind of experiences in many of these kind of things. And so we know what these yeah. experiences are like. Yeah. And we also have enjoyed the process of seeing so many people go from one sphere to the next sphere. 
which is always such a beautiful experience yeah. for those people. And it's such an honour, I feel such an honour for every single individual soul to be there and to lead such a ceremony because yeah. it's, it's a transition of that unique half of the soul yep. to their next state and it's an honour to actually kind of, I can't think of the right word, to oversee something like that, yeah. 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 to enable it I suppose. Yeah. And we've also had the lovely experience of welcoming new people to the sphere or dimension in which we live, which is what that group of spirits who came, the second group of spirits who came to accept yep. the, shall we call them the graduates yes. <laughs> of, you know, the second sphere into the third sphere. Mm. And, you know, we've had that experience too of being able to be part of the welcoming group of people that welcome a group of people into the, into the new condition. And it's such like... Celebrations on earth are nothing, you know, and marriages on earth, celebrations are nothing compared, you know, to those kind of experiences. Yeah. They all, um, they are all completely different kinds of experiences than what the majority of people on earth would even probably understand at this point. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's why he says that we must have our souls open in order to have these experiences. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think in the future it's possible that we could have experiences like that on Earth. On Earth. Yeah, uh, that, that would be would interesting. Be beautiful. Because I, I, I can't recall any time that I've observed in history over the last 2,000 years where an experience like that has actually happened on Earth. No way. Aside from when it happened in my case uh, after I became at one with God and, and, uh, and then Moses and Elijah become at one with, Elijah become at one with God and in the spirit world, and we had uh, an event, yes. the transfiguration yep. that was recorded in the Bible. And that's the only time that this kind of experience has ever occurred on earth. Yeah. Um, and, and I never, because I was alone in my progression on earth, going from sphere to sphere before then, mm -hmm. um, I never experienced the, sort of this, you know, obviously I, was, I had memories of being welcomed into new spheres from my fr friends in the spirit world, but not this great big celebration that you would have uh, that would be normal in the spirit world yeah. for somebody who is there all the time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, well, is there anything else you want to add? I... No, I feel, I feel this chapter is, again, a, um, a pretty good chapter for re reflection. Yeah. Um, for, for us, it's an emotional chapter because of the memories involved, but, but for the average person... It, who reads it, who's never had those memories, my suggestion is to contemplate how they have had many soul-based experiences, usually in their childhood, that, that, are, that have been quite strong and powerful, mm -hmm. and yet they've often either misinterpreted them or they've often now ignored them and don't speak of them. Mm. And the main reason why is because we've got so much fear surrounding these kind of things on earth and we're afraid of so many things on earth. And unless we address those particular things, the things we're afraid of, we're not going to have more of those experiences. And you need to have more of those experiences if you're going to grow yeah. in love. Yeah. 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 Thanks for your time, honey. It was, I enjoyed discussing that chapter with you. And, no if you'd like to join us again, we'll be filming our final two chapters in the coming weeks and we hope you've been enjoying our discussion of Through the Mists. Yes. See you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>